This is Biz, and if hosting One Bad Mother for over 10 years has taught me anything, it's that parenting is hard and nobody gives a shit. So belly up to the low bar, where fine is good enough and you'll never feel alone. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, surprise, you aren't from here. (laughs) I have the pleasure of talking with Sadia Khan, host of the remarkable podcast, Immigrantly. Welcome, Sadia. Thank you. (laughs) I am so excited to be here. (laughs) Well, we are very excited to have you here. And for people who don't know, I am going to take just some key points from Sadia's amazing biography and just let you know that She is a storyteller, human rights activist, and social entrepreneur, and the founder and host of the award-winning podcast and digital platform, Immigrantly, which challenges simplistic narratives around the immigrant experience. Sadia is also the co-producer and co-host of the Invisible Hate podcast, an ethical, ethical, love it, true crime podcast that highlights injustices against minorities. She holds a master's in human rights from Columbia University and has worked with organizations like Human Rights First, UN Women, and other UN entities advocating for women's rights and justice, as well as a lot of work with refugees and just this general dedication to keeping the story going and the conversations open. So uh, let me say it again. Thank you and welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Sadia, who lives in your house? My husband, my two girls, and probably a ghost. Yes! (laughs) Who do you love more? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Maybe the ghost. (laughs) May I ask how old the girls are? Uh, uh, They're 17 and 20. Did it? I did it. I don't know <laughs> how I did it, but I did. <laughs> now, I'm not sure what I've done. I just know that I'm doing it. So, well, congratulations. That's pretty epic. No wonder you look so refreshed. Is it that? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to like fall into the trope that older kids require less of you because I also don't believe that. But you know, I'm assuming that means you have a little extra time in your day. <laughs> yeah. And I am going to be an empty nester very soon, <gasps> yeah. which is so scary for me. Mm-hmm. I have lived most of my life with my <laughs> kids. So I will hopefully try to reconnect with, I don't know, my 24, 25 year old self right yes. before I had kids, <laughs> which is a long time ago because I am in my 40s now. And it's just, it's been a journey. It's been a journey which has been rewarding, fulfilling, messy at times. Mm. Definitely challenging. Oh, and yes. once a parent, always a parent. Well, I I kind of want to know about 24-year-old Sadia. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh, Elizabeth. I <laughs> don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's, even, that's better. That's actually, I actually kind of like that. I don't remember. I wish I did. <laughs> but you know what? I'm trying to reinvent myself. So I'm like, okay, now that my kids will be off to college, both of them, one is already in college, the other yeah. one is leaving very soon. I can really do stuff that I was doing when I was 24, 25, right before when I had them. But at the same time, I am more mature. I have more money. <laughs> and I have more wisdom. So why yes. not? Yes, and hopefully insurance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, I want to get into the work that you do, especially the podcast, Immigrantly. Tell us a little bit about the podcast and really how, what led you to starting it? Like your personal, I mean, like on a global scheme, we need this podcast. I understand that. But like you personally, how did... You come to to the podcast. So I 
tell this story about my dad coming to the US in the 70s as a young engineer from Pakistan, falling in love with the country and its people. And then he had to go back because he had certain obligations to fulfill. But he took away part of his identity in America with him and he always cherished it and we would hear stories about America in anecdote forms from him. So I had this idea of what America looked like and American meritocracy and the American dream. So when I came to college in the early 2000s, with my husband, we had just gotten married. The idea was, you know, people will welcome us <laughs> with open arms and things Ooh. will be so, you know, nice and fun. But then this was post 9-11 era and America was a lot more paranoid, resentful, angry at people like me. And initially I took it as it came. I was like, you know what? I'm an immigrant. This is how maybe immigrants are treated in America. But then as time went by and I settled, we decided to stay in the United States, which happens to a lot of immigrants. We think of going back and then we never go back. And I had my daughters. The stakes became so high, right? I started noticing microaggressions more and I would brush them off. But I couldn't. I decided to start working with Human Rights First as an interpreter, working on asylum seekers cases, then went back to grad school to do my master's because I really wanted to make a difference and to be heard and known. And then something happened in 2016, as a lot of us know. And that was a huge trigger because what I realized was no matter how successful we are as immigrants and how privileged we are, some of us are, we can be relegated to fringes in an instant. Our identity can be really sidelined. And that's when I realized that I could no longer sit on the sidelines and let somebody else define me and who I am and what I stand for. And I'm a huge podcast listener. So I thought, what better way to convey those stories than through podcasting? It is such an intimate medium where you can learn and unlearn in your own time and have your own journey. So Immigrantly was launched as the Alien Chronicles. I don't know what I was thinking, guys. Ah! Um, <laughs> We all yeah. make choices at some point. Uh, I, get I it. thought I thought I was trying to reclaim the term alien. Didn't happen. Too toxic. <laughs> it's been four years, and I am so proud of the work that we are doing because we are really reorienting American society to a new kind of immigrant identity that exists on a broad spectrum of humanity. And we have these incredible conversations with guests every single week. Yeah, and we are very proud of where we are and we will continue to grow and do this work in different forms. So yeah, that's that's the trigger for Immigrantly. Can I ask for younger listeners or people who have every year seems to hold something uh, impactful, tell us a little bit about 2016. Oh my gosh. So... 2016. So I got my citizenship in 2013. I want to rewind a bit. And I was really excited to vote um, and yeah! to express oh, my... That 2016. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, everybody. I figured it out. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that, that one. That, That's that, a, one. Yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden <laughs> we get all these interesting candidates for that election year. And we start hearing murmurs about, oh, immigrants are yeah. this and that and Muslims are this and that. And yeah. I was like, oh. Wow. Like, to be clear, I'm not saying that before 2016, discrimination did not exist or Islamophobia <laughs> did not exist. Right. It absolutely did. But it was almost normalized in 2016 through Trump's yep. election, right? It was, yeah. be it became mainstream. It was okay to be Islamophobic, homophobic, anti Semitic, anything. You yeah. pick any minority. And they were being targeted. There was anti-black racism, which obviously existed, which is part of American history, yeah. but it was amplified. And that's where I felt. And by the way, 
my husband and I thought we had realized the American dream, although I now can pretty confidently say that there is no such thing as an American dream. It exists differently for different people. America is not a meritocracy and don't hate me for saying that. But that was a moment, a trigger point for us to see how America can other people like us in an instant, right? right? And that was a huge shock, a realization that I had not had. Maybe because I didn't see America as home before that, or maybe I wasn't as aware being a privileged immigrant in the United States, having gone to Ivy League schools and, you know, living the American dream again, whatever you think of it. And that's why I feel it was such an inflection point for us to see how important it is to take charge of our narratives and speak our truths in spaces that are often co-opted by people who don't even understand who we are. Well, that is, I will say, one of the scariest things in overall that I think sort of touches all of the issues that America is facing that came about in 2016 was this absolute acceptance that uh, facts had very little meaning and people could really use opinions as, as fact. All right, a couple of things. How quickly you could be othered. That is a very powerful description and I think one of the things that feeds into that is when people are out there othering, they use sweeping terms, immigrants, migrants, refugee. There are, there are a lot of different areas within the world of immigration. And I was hoping you could take a moment and just give us the basics on this, because whenever we can really clear it up, it helps as we discuss things further. So, Right. So immigrants, the way I define an immigrant is somebody who is born outside the U.S. and comes to live in the United States and gets permanent residency and eventually citizenship. Most immigrants come for various reasons that they could be economic reasons. A lot of them do come for economic reasons. They mostly come because they make a choice to leave their homeland. For refugees, they mostly flee persecution. So it's not a choice for them. They are either fleeing some kind of persecution targeted at them or war and destruction. And similarly with migrants, it could be economic migrants, and then there could be migrants who are fleeing persecution. And a lot of times people don't realize that if you were to ask a refugee or a migrant, they would very well want to go back and live there in live in their own country in their own homeland but they don't have a choice and there are so many different reasons whether economic political due to which they have to flee their homeland or their homes and that's a distinction between immigrant and a refugee which people tend to conflate a lot and then there are different kinds of immigrants. There are working class immigrants. There are immigrants who are more privileged. As I said in the beginning, I see myself as privileged immigrant because we came here for college. So we had the means to fly to the United States, to pay for college tuition, to start a life here in the United States. Not all immigrants have those choices. Right. Again, looking at America's immigration system, there is a broken immigration system that with, exists within the United States, you don't have visa options for all kinds of immigrants, right? So when people say, oh, they should come legally, how do they come legally? Do they apply for F1? Like, seriously, right. it's extremely expensive to apply for different visas, to fly to the United States, to come here. So it's important to recognize intersectionality of socioeconomic status, intersectionality of race, inter intersectionality of national origin alongside our immigration status and how it makes it almost impossible for so many people to enter the United States. United States' immigration policy is based on deterrence rather than welcoming. And that's a huge myth that people have that America is this place for all immigrants. Unfortunately, it's not.
Oh, no. I, yeah, no. It's a beautiful myth, right? It the is a beautiful milk, myth. It's a beautiful myth. This is, you know, bring us your hungry and your poor and your tired. And That's not happening anymore, or, I guess. No, I'm not sure it was happening super smoothly at the beginning, but it's why I made the joke. America is pretty much everybody who came here and took the land from the people who actually are from here. I love that line, from here. Yeah. From you here. Know, but, I would, but I would say this, Elizabeth, I think yeah. the normative framework or the theoretical framework of America being this land of immigrants is beautiful, right? right? The idea of how do we actually realize it and how do we make it equitable for every single person is where America is a bit misguided. But the idea, if if you were to ask me, is there any other country on the planet I would rather be other than Pakistan, of course, it would be the United States. I have no doubt in my mind that after Pakistan, the, the only country I would want to be a resident of would be the U.S. But there is a lot of reconciliation and reckoning that needs to happen. Oh, that is the history of being a teenage country in this world, you know, right. I mean, which is what we are. You know, like we are babies and <laughs> sometimes behave as such. I want to talk about the immigrant parenting experience. Oh, you're welcome. No, I mean, like it's <laughs> as well as the child being an, a, a child of immigrants and the different generations that follow that because it <laughs> is like we joke on the show a lot about like seeing a parent with like a screaming kid just trying to leave Target and you're just like, I see you. I, you know, leave your cart. It's okay. You know, like, how is that woman doing that with like three kids? I just, I see you. And then I think I see like photos and I read stories of parents bringing their three-year-old, their four-year-old, their newborns having babies as they flee a country as a refugee is just one of the stories of how they are coming. And I think, wow, I am an asshole. <laughs> because, I mean, really, like, eh, that seems so difficult. And then this leads me to this connected question for, for you to respond to. And that is, is there a difference of status and acceptance based on when a person came to the country or how they came to a country and what does that look like in relation to being a parent, an immigrant parent? That is a very broad question and I apologize. <laughs> you know what, Elizabeth? I was waiting for this question. This yeah, is the question woo, woo. that I was waiting for you to ask. <laughs> Oh my gosh, there are so many layers of an immigrant mom. So I became mom early on. I was pretty yeah. young. I had just moved to the U.S. My husband was studying. We were on campus living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I used to miss my country a lot, mm -hmm. Pakistan. And I would cry and sob. And my husband was like, oh, why don't you do some courses, you know? And I was like, yeah, I just finished my degree. I don't want to do another right now. And I was just <laughs> crying and sobbing and depressed. And then he was like, ah, let's have kids then. And I was like, sure, let's have kids. <laughs> uh, oh, that old, that old experience, that old story. <laughs> right. So we have kids. So I am a young mom in a new country. Mm -hmm. Sure, I can speak the language. I grew up in Pakistan, which was a British colony before it got independence in 1947. So language was not a problem. But the place still seemed so alien and so different and unique in a way and I had my kids and I didn't have family or extended family to help me raise kids right they say right. it takes a village it absolutely takes a village and my village existed in Pakistan right so it was 
a lot of ebbs and flows. I would, you know, cry one day. I was extremely depressed. I remember going to pediatrician's office in the beginning and I sit there and he's just checking my baby and just asking me questions. And I start bawling. Oh, yeah. And I tell him how depressed I am. And this guy now, granted, this is like almost almost 20 years ago. He didn't know what to do and how to respond. And he sat there quiet, looking at me. And then he left the room. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, say wow. something, right? Wow. Um. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. But here's the thing. I became more independent. I learned how to take care of my kids on my own. So that was good. No dependence on anybody. Yeah, but that was postpartum depression. Yes, with it was. depression, my friend. That it is, was. I mean, it was. especially if you already have depression. Hi. And then you have a baby or kids get into your house somehow, like through the walls. <laughs> postpartum depression, that is just classic that that right. guy just left the room. Wow. Wowie, wow, wow. I just, I mean, I know that you now know that that is what that was. But like, God, and to like push through it. God. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah and at the time, crazy. I couldn't really talk to my husband about it because both of us were struggling, right? Yeah. He was studying and then he had a new job and we were both learning to live in a new country at the same time. We didn't with have kids. friends <laughs> with kids, right? And so a lot of things were happening. So I didn't confide in him. I somehow did not confide in my parents or my siblings, but I knew something was off and it took me a while to yeah. realize what was happening. So early on, I felt I did not enjoy the first few years of my kid's life because I was so focused on what it really took away from me. I was yeah. a young mom dealing with so much emotional trauma. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm sorry, I really... just I just have to say that is correct. That, I mean, like, they do not, if there are universals, which is, again, why I don't understand why we are just yelling at each other all the time, because that universal feeling of, I'm supposed to like this, and I'm supposed to change from whoever I was to whatever this is, and and it be really seamless and easy. It's not. It is, it's a, that is a myth. That is a crazy myth that has been destructive to women and men and however you identify as a parent. That is incredibly destructive. To add to that, the isolation, it's very easy to become isolated with new kids and the isolation of being in a new country, not having the support system here, and just how isolating depression can be. I just love it when people say things that I know are incredibly honest and I have to stop and yell about it. Good job. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, because I think it's so important for yeah. young moms to realize that it's okay not to love your child right when you right. give birth or in whatever form or shape yeah. you you know have that child, right? And for me to realize that, and it felt so bad. bad. I felt so guilty because I had heard stories from my mom and my aunts and my cousins, how much they loved their kids. And let me tell you, in Pakistan, if you come from an upper middle class, upper class family, you have a lot of help. My mom had a lot of help, right? right. And even then, she wouldn't really like, shower us or bathe us or anything. She was like, ah, I'm not going to do that. Um, I still love my mom. But the thing being, it was so many things at the same time. And I was so ambitious, right? I had a great degree. I wanted to do so much more mm -hmm. in life than just be a mom. I don't think we realize that a lot of times there are a lot of mothers out there who want motherhood to be part of their identity, but not an all-encompassing identifier or a signifier. And a lot of times people expect them to be that. And I'm sure there are moms out there who yeah. are happy just being that. And that's great. 
But I wasn't one of those moms. I never was. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are still wrestling with that question. Right. I, well, I want to actually deter us just for a second, talking about the pressures of new motherhood. And you were talking about what it would have been like if you were in Pakistan with that environment. I think about the pressures in the U.S. And I think it's fairly universal in the U.S. of the self-judgment, the judging of others, the these milestones that I guess we're supposed to be helpful, but instead make you feel like shit. Having your kids, and even within America, when I go home to where I'm from, which is Alabama, to visit, like those kids look good going to the library. I mean, they are in matching like pinafores. Who's still wearing pinafores (laughs) and bloomers and everybody's monogrammed. And it's just amazing. And then here are my children who might have a comb or a Cheerio literally stuck in their hair because that's not the priority of us. Just getting out of the house was a big deal. So I'm asking you at all, based on the conversations you've also had with people, that intersection of pressure or parenting pressure when you have sort of two identities, right? As wherever you can, like you're... See, I don't want to say where you came from. That sounds like super rude. So your, I guess, heritage, would that be the right word? And the current status of being in America, those can't go well together, do they? I mean, I still struggle, right? There is this tug of war because I come from a collectivist society where the collective takes precedence over the individual which means the idea of respect, disrespect, how you treat your parents, how you treat your kids is very different. It's mostly communal. A lot of things that you do, you have to keep in mind the community and how it impacts the community in general and your family. Family unit is prioritized always. And then raising my daughters in a society that is an individualistic society. And I think both extremes are wrong, to be honest. I think being hyper-individualistic is problematic, and so is being hyper-collectivist. There's always a good middle ground, and that's what my husband and I have tried to create in our household, where we pick and choose good things from American culture and then Pakistani culture, and bring it together for our kids. Like I listen to my kids a lot more than my parents would ever listen to me. <laughs> That's fair. Me too. Me too. <laughs> right? And then yeah. I do I do expect a certain degree of respect from them, a certain kind of vernacular that they can use for their parents and their elders. Um, so that's a great mix and a great experiment of sorts in motherhood. Well, How do you raise American children, as it were, while keeping true to your heritage? And I feel like that question can really be divided up into age of your kids and their willingness to participate in anything you want them to participate in. Like, did you see your kids struggle with anything specific or as adults, do they come back now and say, I wish you hadn't done that. Or I wish you had done that. You know, like, (laughs) you know, this may sound very cliched and I'm sure there are a lot of kids of immigrants who talk about this, but growing up, I'm sure there were moments for them that they thought were embarrassing, whether the food or the language. Right. But what I've realized is as they grow older, and now especially for my older one who's in college, who recently went to college, she's trying to reconnect with her identity and she embodies it so beautifully and unapologetically. And that's because she sees value in Mm. the diversity or the heritage that she has, right? Something that she was at some point embarrassed of. And that's something that I've seen with so many kids of immigrants that I interview. Surprisingly, on my podcast, I interview a lot of kids of immigrants and our listenership is pretty young. It's mostly under 34, which shows how a lot of kids of immigrants struggle with 
dual identity and how they are trying to create their own space within the U.S., especially kids of immigrants who are non-white. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle. I still don't understand certain cultural um, things that my kids will talk about or they'll share or they expect me to understand. I've been called hypocritical a few times, <laughs> which I understand And I'm somebody who's open to learning and unlearning, something that I mentioned earlier on as well. For me, it's always so interesting to learn from your kids, right? So my parents always thought, and they still think, that they know everything. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, it's like I may know a lot because of my experience, But at the same time, I can learn so much, so much from my kids. And that's been an interesting journey for us. And I think that is part of my identity that I attribute to Americanness in a way Mm -hmm. and how I have internalized American ideals in some ways. And I think this is one example of how I listen to my kids more. I try to meet them where they are. I try to challenge my notions of societal norms based on how they present themselves through my kids. So that's what I've done. But there are certain things that I would never give up. So again, the idea of respect, (laughs) respect your elders, respect, respect, respect. (laughs) Valuing your elders' advice, something that I rely on um, even now, like I talk to my mother about so many things, to my dad, and I value the wisdom and the experience that they bring to me and my family, something that I don't see as often happening in the U.S. There is a lot of focus um, and priority on youth, and people think that as as people get older, they become almost irrelevant. Right within American social discourse, which is in contradiction to, say, Pakistani society or any Eastern society. And that's something that I really hold on to. And I am trying to preserve through what I have instilled in my daughters. I could really go off on a whole side conversation. (laughs) We are just about like, how do you... How do you do that if you have a differing opinion or like how do you navigate finding that wisdom when you're also aware of the I know everything sometimes mentality of an elder or like you said, there are experiences that are normal for your kids that are foreign to you. So how do you navigate that's not to say negate any talking with people of an older generation whether they be your parents or just people from your community but that feels also a little tricky it is oh my gosh it is so (laughs) tricky (laughs) i'm just sitting here talking to you thinking through these things but believe you me it's so difficult and sometimes i have to almost check myself and say, Mm. I can't do this to my kids. I can't yell and scream at them for something that I don't understand or Mm. something that I may have held dearly because it represents my culture, Mm. but it may be problematic otherwise, (laughs) right? So recognizing (laughs) that you don't know everything, you may Mm. be wrong and it's always good to be open to learning and unlearning a yes. lot of things. That is very un-American. I'm just yeah! <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love the idea of learn and unlearn. And I am such a fan of failing and making mistakes uh, because that is a great way to unlearn something. And sometimes we have to learn and unlearn a few times as we get closer, and I think, listen, big surprise, listening to others uh, <laughs> may provide some insight into the world, everybody. And the last question, is there anything that those of us who do not have 
similar experiences with, you know, our immigrant parents came and did horrible things hundreds of years ago. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's been so many generations, it doesn't even matter anymore. How do we especially, look, as a woman, I've said this a lot recently, I have made very a very specific choice years ago to just not hate women anymore. Okay. Just not going to hate women for anything or just intentionally or without knowing. Right. But even more so as a parent and knowing how hard it is to have kids in your house, what do I not know or need to know or be better about or any of those things or something I'm not thinking of, how can I support parents who are immigrants in America? Oh, wow. Elizabeth, this is such an incredible question and also a difficult one for me to answer because when I look back, I wish there were people who understood the challenges of being an immigrant and a parent, that intersectionality, a lot of times people would box you in one or the other. So either you're an immigrant to them or a parent and they cannot make that connection. And just asking parents what they want, listening. I think listening is so important because a lot of times we may think that they need something that they may not really need. But they may need something else that we cannot either understand or are not aware of. Mm -hmm. So just talking to them, listening and supporting in whatever way. Because let me tell you, immigrant parent has a very different experience than a parent who's born and raised here. When my kids went to high school, I didn't even know how to navigate that. And both my husband and I are college educated, right? Professionals. (laughs) Imagine, (laughs) imagine parents who don't have those degrees, who've not been to college, how difficult and challenging must it be for them? So giving them that support system, not judging. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we are so quick to judge other parents, and helping them in whatever shape or form they need help. Because not every immigrant parent is the same, right? Again, (laughs) some are more privileged, some are less privileged, some are more educated, some are less educated, some can speak language fluently, some can't. There is a vast spectrum of immigrant identity and to recognize that and to see them as humans and connecting them with their humanity first and foremost. Don't see them as, oh my gosh, they are outsiders invading our country. (laughs) (laughs) No, good place to start. Everybody write that one down. That's a really important one. And it's okay if you have to write it down a few times on stickies and put it up because I I 100% agree that that is a great place to start. Yes. God, I'm so sorry. We're so awful sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i think that is amazing advice and i really appreciate the work that you have and continue to do i am a strong believer in normalizing that which we don't know or is not normal yet and i appreciate that you've done this work thank you so much Thank you so much for having me on this wonderful podcast and talk about parenting, which I often don't. So I'm really excited (laughs) and to talk about vulnerabilities and challenges and messiness of being a parent in whatever form or shape you are experiencing parenthood, right? See, this is just slowly proving my thesis that, you know, we can find some commonalities if there's a kid in your house. Right Right. now, that doesn't mean that those commonalities don't come with layers and like blah, blah, blah. But, you know, everybody's kid has pooped in the tub. And if they haven't, they will. You're welcome. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sadia, I hope you will stick around and join me for Genius and Fails. Okay. And everybody, of course, I will say this again, but you can very easily find by going to our notes 
or Googling uh, immigrantly, and we didn't even talk about the Invisible Hate podcast. I, you know, also excellent, as well as all of the work that Sadia and all of the people who work with her on Immigrantly do. So everybody, go do that during this break. We will be right back with Genius and Fails. We have a Jumbotron. So everybody, listen up. Cheryl Sullivan, Cheryl Sullivan. This is a Jumbotron for you from Kevin. (laughs) So Cheryl, get ready. Happy 20th anniversary, Cheryl. Woo! You are amazing. Not only have you put up with my messy garbage for all of this time, but you are an amazing, badass mother to our two-spirited and absolutely different children. You astound me with your determination, wisdom, and compassion. I am so proud to be your partner in life and crime, and I love you. Cheryl, Kevin, happy 20th anniversary to you both. You are both doing a great job. If you would like to get a Jumbotron for somebody in your life who you feel needs a special shout out, you can do so by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Somewhere in an alternate universe where Hollywood is smarter. And the Emmy nominees for Outstanding Comedy Series are Jet Pacula, Airport Marriott, Rupple, Dear America, We've Seen You Naked, and Allah in the Family. In our stupid universe, you can't see any of these shows, but you can listen to them on Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that brings you hilarious comedy pilots that the networks and streamers bought but never made. Journey to the alternate television universe of Dead Pilot Society on MaximumFun.org. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. All right, Sadia, we are back for Genius and Fails, and I encourage you that we have very low bars here. So... I will start us off with my genius, and I'm pretty excited about it. My oldest is a teen, and we are currently having to be in a short-term housing situation while we're doing work on the house, and it means my teen has a room all of their own for like the first time. And so they had a sleepover. And the first thing that was great was that they and their friend were leaving a movie and in the car were like, can we have a sleepover? And I just said, yes. I didn't even, I didn't even talk to the other people involved. I was like, sure. So they come over having the sleepover. Stefan and I are watching a movie in the other room and they open the door and it's like 11 o'clock at night, by the way, or 1030 at this point in time, it's like 10, 1030. And they say, can so-and-so come over and join us at this sleepover. And Stefan and I both looked at each other and then we looked back and we said, if that parent wants to drive that child over here, (laughs) we are still awake. So the answer is yes. And that parent did want to drive that child over. And so it's us and that parent outside talking. And I said, I said, look how cool we are. <laughs> look at us. And when we were when we were like young, I know I made a promise to myself that if like my kids asked for like something like this and there was really no good reason to say no, I was gonna say yes. And Stefan was like, I made that same promise. And this dad was like, I did too. And then so that I felt very true to 12-year-old self. And 
What I really like is that by like seven in the morning, my child came out and said, they all need to go home. (laughs) (laughs) It smells in there. Teen bodies. Anyway, (laughs) I feel like a genius for fulfilling that. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did. Oh, my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh, my God. That's fucking genius. I love that a little bit. I really do. All right, Sadia. Okay. Tell me your genius. Oh, I think my genius is being an immigrant mom and learning from my kids. That's my genius. And being open to learning. My mom (laughs) was never open to learning. She still isn't. Again, I love my mom. I keep saying this because she, if she hears this, she'll kill me. But just being open to learning is my genius and understanding them and seeing them through this Mm. American slash American cultural lens and accepting them and, you know, celebrating them. That's my genius. That is a good genius. And that is one... That is not easy to come by. Yeah. In general, like as parents, it's really hard. And for each person, again, that comes with different levels and layers of what makes it hard. And but like just I mean, I can't think of the times I've been like, no, oh, my God, there was no sense in me saying that. Okay, tell (laughs) me about it. Let's. All right. All right. Let me figure this out. Right. So it is genius. Good job. Hey, Biz, this is a genius. I finally have a genius. I'm so excited. Um, so my three-year-old hates getting dressed in the morning. It's been a battle for weeks, like crying, tantrums, you know, the usual freakouts. And I was thinking today, she is very obsessed with Miraculous Ladybug and loves to pretend to be Cat Noir, which is one of the superheroes on the show. And I told her this morning when she was fussing, I was like, Cat Noir, it's time to transform. And she stood up, she let me take off her pajamas, she let me put on her clothes, get her socks and her shoes on, and then she bowed at the end. All I had to do was hum the Ladybug song. I feel like a genius, Yeah. even though it's the tiniest thing, but I am so excited to just get her freaking dress without a fight. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. Oh my gosh, I love this. Right? I love it. It's so smart. Oh my gosh. Well, and it's not just smart. Like the whole thing about genius is that it's usually the stuff that no one cares that you did. But it right. has such a big, like if that woman went to the preschool and was like, guys, let me tell you how I got my kid dressed this morning. That would be the weird start of a conversation for <laughs> some, but not for listeners of this podcast. We shedded that hesitation years ago but i it's like the kind of thing where you want to go to work and have a line of people ready to high five you as you came through and you're like (laughs) humming the ladybug song anyway you are a genius and and like we see you god Mm. that's so good failures fail 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 you suck all right everybody prepared to be impressed with my parenting I was trying to be supportive of Ellis, my youngest, the emotional place they were in. They are wired in a way that they can get very focused on sort of a negative uh, response to whatever they've done, right? Like, I'm no good at this, or I'm bad, I didn't know, I'm bad, blah, blah. And I, we were like laying there snuggling, and I decided to share some of the things that I'm no good at. I was like, Ellis... I I do those kind of things all the time. Like what? I said, all right, fine. Here's what I'm no good at. You know that thing where Papa's always like telling you and uh, your other sibling to like put the dishes not just in the sink, but in the dishwasher. Well, for one thing, I am the queen of just putting them in the sink. Okay, that is me. That's on me. I do it every day. I do it knowing that the dishwasher is right there and I can put it in. Also, fruit stickers the little stickers that are on your banana or your apple or tomato, I just pull off and I stick them somewhere. I don't put them in the trash. I could easily put them in the trash, but I don't. And uh, we're laughing and we're giggling and they're feeling better because they're, you know, 
mom is a failure at something. And, and I was feeling pretty good about myself until the next day and every day since that Ellis takes stickers off of free. This is a nine-year-old, everybody. So there is full conscious choice-making happening here. Takes it off and thinks it's very funny to stick it in places where they're not coming off, okay? Like where <laughs> it's not, it's going to be very difficult. And we are, again, in a house that is not ours. And I am like, oh, God, no, don't stick it on the cabinet, not the hardwood floor. So every day, my child reminds me that I am failing at sharing my personal experiences to make them feel better. So hmm. there you go. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, as a parent, I wouldn't even consider it a failure. I think oh. you were just sharing something so honest with your kid. And sometimes we do that, but then we have to recognize they are humans too. And they will no. internalize <laughs> it the way they want to internalize it. Right? Yes. But if I were to have posted that story on a Facebook page somewhere, I would have probably been eaten alive for some reason. So Oh, wow. Well, you know, people get very weird and judgy. So I will just openly, mockingly bask in my failure of even just trying to be supportive of my child. So there you go. (laughs) All right, Sadia, what do you got? Uh, So I think I could have done a better job (laughs) teaching them different languages. We speak, so I speak five languages and my husband speaks five languages. And when we came to the US, we were told that we have to speak just one language that is English with our kids so that they, when they go to school, they don't feel like outsiders. And we did that. And now I regret it so much. They still speak part of our languages, (laughs) but not fluently. And then my, my sister's kids are so fluent and so many languages. Uh, and I'm like, I am such a failure. <laughs> so all the immigrant or non-immigrant parents who can speak multiple languages, pass it on to your kids and be yeah. proud of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a good one. That's a good one. How dare you make that choice when you were new, (laughs) suffering from crippling depression and uh, thinking you were getting advice that was going to be really, because I, you know, we could have gone off on that topic of those types of just nuances and struggles of language alone when it comes to immigrant families and, uh, you know, second, first and second generation kids, but we won't do that. Instead, I'll just say. I hope you never sleep again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Elizabeth, it's interesting because I speak, as I said, I speak multiple languages. And for me, English is more like my intellectual language. It's like when I want to engage in intellectual conversations, (laughs) introspective conversations. And my emotional language is like Pashto and Urdu when I'm angry. Yeah, it comes out. It's like, you know, all my anger and emotions, they really manifest in that particular language. That's and I, awesome. And I wonder if people have those experiences where they just, you know, compartmentalize different languages for different things or different actions or whatever they do, right? No, that's a fascinating discussion because I know that for me, the angrier I get, the more my Southern accent comes ah. out and it gets, you know, that it gets fired. Up. <laughs> hey, this is a total fail. Um, we were going out and my baby who's a year and a half loves to play with keys. So, of course, I give her the keys to play with as I'm putting her in car seat with, uh, thankfully my husband was there too um, and then I promptly closed the door and she locked herself in and then put the keys aside because they weren't fun anymore and sure. I locked my baby in a car <laughs> thankfully it wasn't hot outside it was raining and CAA was able to come in like seven minutes so I mean all it was was her looking at us as we stupidly tapped <laughs> on the window to say, hey, no, no, please, please open the car door. Oh. $75 oh, no. later, I feel like the worst 
parent in the mm-hmm. world, and she never gets to play with keys anymore. <clears throat> I hope you guys are having a great day. You're doing a good job. Bye. Okay, two things here. One, you're not a terrible parent. You're amazing. Two, I think we should all, don't even stop at not letting your kid have the keys. How about just never let them drive? Let's just keep them from everything humanly possible. I am so sorry. This is one of those fails where you're like, I think I have shared on the show that Katie Bell, the oldest, was a baby and they were sleeping. And I had had some candles going in the house, not anywhere near the baby, but I had gone downstairs to the apartment in Brooklyn, uh, Brownstone. I'd gone downstairs and I locked myself in the basement. And my husband was somewhere off in Manhattan, like at a meeting or whatever. I didn't have my phone, none of those things. And so I get on the computer and I just email every person we know. And I'm like, hi guys, I've locked myself in the basement. My baby is asleep upstairs and there are candles going. If somebody could just call Stefan and let... So that it's that moment it shuts and you're like, ah, ugh. Look, here's what I will say. We are all humans. Yeah. Why do we have to pretend to be superhumans <laughs> once we become parents? I know. Why? We, we are humans. We can make mistakes. <laughs> it's okay. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. You know, and like... I'll tell you the answer to that question. Why do we suddenly have to become superhuman? And I, in all honesty, think it's rooted in absolute fear. Yeah. You know, as a society about what is a good parent, what is good for a kid. You know, I mean, we will react quickly. And the last thing any of us want to do is be the person who makes the mistake but is seen as the villain. Right. And I hate that for all of us with kids in our house. Exactly. It's deeply unfair. That said, never let your child have keys again. How dare you try <laughs> to distract your child while you're putting them in a car seat, which is always a super relaxing task. <laughs> Sadia, thank you so much for joining us again. We will link everybody up to where they can listen to both of your podcasts and find out about the work that you're doing, as well as ways to just get involved in their own communities in terms of supporting immigrants who are settling or have found their way here, regardless of the circumstances and just help them feel seen. So thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. This was so good. I had a wonderful time and we could go on and on and oh, on I know about we could. this, right? <laughs> yeah, in fact, in fact, we might have to. We might have to have you come back and really delve into some of these very specific areas that could take up their own whole show, whether it's language, whether it's navigating school, whether, I mean, I have a college degree and I can't get through like insurance forms sometimes. So, you know, like, it's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you. When I I'm Jesse Thorne. Bullseye is celebrating 50 years of hip-hop by bringing you an entire month of brand new interviews with rappers. That means Jeezy. I put my pain in the music. Angie Stone. You know, hip-hops. We called them hops back then. Master P. Music is what's going to open the doors for us, but whatever we come up with after this, it's going to be bigger. Plus, Chica, Saba, even the greatest of them all, Rakim. That's this September. Open up that podcast app, type in Bullseye, and hit subscribe. You're not going to want to miss any of this. Okay, everybody, it's time to listen to a mom have a breakdown. 
Hi, one bad mother. This is a rant. I am calling because, one, I love your show. And two, I don't understand how our children can make us feel like we're so bad. I work from home some days. Some days I go to the office. And I feel like my daughter just knows the days that I'm home and is able to guilt me so bad about taking her to daycare. And she will cry and hit and won't get in her car seat. And I question, I think to myself, why am I doing this? Should I just stay home with her? But then I think about all the things I'm going to do today. I have meetings. I have lectures to write. I have so much I have to do that I won't get done if she's not there. And heaven forbid, I want to go for a run. I just want to take a little time and get some exercise in and take a moment for me. And I feel like I can't do that. I took her and we went to daycare and she just cried the whole way. And then I just left feeling like I'm the worst mom in the world for not staying home with her and like I'm not allowed to be able to do these things. And I know it's the right thing, but it's really hard. Yeah. And sometimes I just, like, wish she could understand, and I and I know she doesn't. And it just hurts. And I'm pregnant, and I'm just so emotional. Oh. And I'm covered in poison ivy right now, and everything ah. fucking sucks. But I love your podcast, and it always makes me feel better. And I did go for a run, and it was incredibly slow, and I probably looked like the truffle shuffle. But I'm really happy I did it. So thanks for being you and everything that you do. Oh, my God. You are doing such a good job. This is definitely one of those calls where everything is a lead that you could have buried. Okay? I got to just get it out of the way. Poison Ivy? That is an insult. <laughs> the universe is fucking with you. And I am so sorry. That is an itchy, horrible, uncomfortable mess. Those same words can sometimes be used to describe pregnancy. A horrible, itchy, uncomfortable mess. The two of those things together is so unpleasant. And you're right. You are you are a emotional hormonal mess. We do not again. I am here to give respect to our body's hormones. All right? That is not an excuse for whatever doctors throughout history have tried to put it. It is not hysteria. It is not emotional delicacy. It is delicacy. That's right. Not like a thing you eat, like being delicate. Okay. None of those things. It is a real physical thing that happens to us and varies from person to person. So all I'm saying is, of course you are crying right now. Okay. You absolutely should be crying right now. And now we're going to go to the situation of guilt because that's what it is. You know, that's what it is. You know, you, you know that it's the right thing to do. Now I'm going to move on to the heart of the call. And that is this feeling of guilt that you are having. And this feeling that you are somehow failing and that your choices are impacting your child or your ability to work and just that it's overwhelming and unfair and feels, even if you know it's right, it doesn't feel right at the same time. And I am just going to tell you that that is correct. You're right. It doesn't feel good. It feels awful. It feels totally fucked up. And 
just because you know it's the right choice and you know it doesn't feel good at the same time doesn't cancel either one of those out. You are doing a remarkable job and I really, really see where you are right now. I see you in this place and I am here to tell you everything you are feeling is 100% valid. You are doing a wonderful job. And I am so sorry about the poison ivy. That just fucking sucks. Everybody, parenting is hard. <laughs> there are lots of things that we share in common as people with kids in our house. And there are a lot of things that it's okay to learn more about if we don't know anything or enough about the other experiences that people may be having. So let's go out and see each other and be mindful of falling into the trap of othering and helping make our own communities, whether they are school communities or church communities or neighborhood communities, a welcoming and safe place for everybody. Yeah, that's all I got this week. Everybody, you're doing a really good job. And nobody has special claim to how low the bar needs to be. That is why everyone is welcome here. I will talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>